Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to Wells Business Australia's only live markets, business and investment channel. It is great to have your company on this Wednesday, the hump of the week, just gone midday, Australian Eastern Standard Time. And of course, that means it is time for the call. 10 stocks, which you suggest, a panel of two experts, 60 minutes, and we whip through them. And we've done something a little different now. We we kick off every day on the call with a topical stock, a, uh, a company that's announced during the morning and just get a, uh, a quick analysis from our panel on how that announcement will affect that particular company. Delighted to have two of my favourite panellists on, um, on the call with us today, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial in our Brangaroo studios. Michael, good to see you again. Good to be back. And Andrew Page from Strawman joining us via Skype. Andrew, in, in a very colourful, eclectic room of his house. Andrew, it looks like a hospital. <laughs> uh, it's, it might look that way, but I can assure you it doesn't have the same uh, standard of cleanliness. Oh, two kids at home anyway. <laughs> Oil Search, we've been watching that price um, really closely today because its managing director said it was considering shutting down its Papua New Guinea production plant as a result of crude oil prices. Now... At uh, Macquarie Conference yesterday, the MD, Kieran Wolf um, said that demand for the company's main product had turned very soft. At this stage, the company has an intention to continue production, but it may be cut from July because of price volatility. So certainly a, um, an industry that's, uh, or a sector that's under pressure with the, the volatility in the oil price. Andrew, did that announcement surprise you? And does it change your view on oil search? Uh, not really. I mean, look, we've seen Brent go from 67 a barrel down to about 20 recently. So, you know, even if even if volumes uh, hold up and we know, as you've just said, that the demand's fallen away, the margin pressure there is is, is something else. So this is this is going to be very, very tough for them. Um as I've mentioned on the show before, Koshi, it's, it's just a sector that I, I find intrinsically very difficult to wrap my head around. Hugely capital intensive. Um, these guys are price takers. They've got no say over the, of the, the market price for their, for their product. Um, and we know how volatile that is and we know how difficult to forecast uh, that is as well. So, look, they're, they're probably taking the right step here. I know they've slashed CapEx by about 40% really significantly there. They'll emerge. They've got a pretty strong um, balance sheet. But 
you know, history is always quite telling um, with these kinds of companies. I mean, oil search, even before the COVID-19 sort of sell-off and the impact we've had on the oil price. I mean, the share price was basically at the same level at the start of this year as to where it was in 2012. Mm. Um, uh, that's not to suggest it's been flat over that period. It's really, really volatile and really, really lumpy. It's just all of this adds up to reasons as to why I just think there's there's easier bars to step over. Yeah, um, the reality is if you're extracting oil out of the ground for $33 a barrel roughly, which um, oil search is, but you're only selling it for... 20 doesn't make sense to continue that for a very long period. Yeah. The reason they keep going is because it's not that simple just to turn the taps off and then turn them back on. They need to obviously have staff, etc., and make sure that all the infrastructure's working before they start pumping the oil. So that's why there is a bit of a window there till July. I think the managing director put a time frame on it. Um, but it doesn't make sense long term for a company like this to keep burning cash flow. Yep. Um, last month was okay. The month before was okay because they tend to sell their oil one or two months in advance right. through forward contracts. Now they haven't got that luxury um, right. as much given where they are. So each dollar of oil or each, each um, barrel of oil that they produce, they're going to be selling it effectively as a loss considering how much debt they carry. Um, obviously, they've got CapEx projects, which they've had to pull back as well. So it, from my point of view, it makes sense um, that they yep. look to cease production if the yep. environment continues. And sort of a lot of people have, have said to me, if you're going to go resources, you've got to buy resources on their knees. Yes. Is this a case of you buy on the knees or... As Andrew was saying, share price hasn't done much since 2012 well, anyhow. It's a, look, you want to be counter-cyclical, I think, <clears throat> with these names yeah. if you have a preference to be in these sectors. And like Andrew, we tend to avoid materials and energy companies because they yeah. are very volatile. Oil search tends to be a higher cost producer. It's got some great assets, but a lot of those assets need to be developed over time. I think they've got a, a, an asset in Alaska where the cost of production is around sort of $45, $50. So they really need higher oil prices to make the most of yep. what they've got. Um, and in this situation, there's a lot of uncertainty and there's no assurance that we're going to get back to $50 oil anytime soon, yeah. particularly with the, the tourism industry out of action, people still in lockdown, not driving their cars as much. That supply glut no, isn't disappearing no necessarily overnight. <laughs> That's right, no planes, you name it. Yeah. Um, okay, all right. So annoy, no for oil search there. Although I should put as a caveat, I think Bernstein's, the big research house out of New York, um, they upgraded their outlook for Woodside and Santos as, to a, as part of a global outlook on oil. And they had the comment in the research report, um, if you don't buy oil now, you will never buy oil. So <laughs> it's all in the timing, I suppose, and you two would agree with that. All right, let's get into our 10 stocks on the call today that you've sent through. Let's go from an oil company, um, Andrew, to one of the darlings of the market, CSL, the old Commonwealth Serum Laboratory. Just um, it's had, had an extraordinary history, hasn't it? Look, this, this is one of the true Australian corporate success stories. I mean, yep. this, this thing has created oodles of wealth for, for shareholders mm -hmm. over a very, very long period of time. Shares are up almost tenfold over the last mm. decade. And, and that's been driven by some incredible earnings growth as well. So, um, you know, you'd and also... The, and look, look at that, that, look at that like, chart. Andrew, sorry to interrupt. Just in the last yeah. year, the pullback in March, they're basically saying, what pullback? <laughs> it's, it's had a pretty good <laughs> yeah, rebound, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it's a, and it's a good, it's a, probably a good example here not to be too uh, reactive on the market as well and, and, you know, panicking whenever you see a dip. This is what share prices do, yeah. even from the best companies. And and it's always a question as far as I'm concerned is as long as the long-term outlook remains um, strong, you want to be pretty sanguine about this. And, um, you know, I can give you a personal uh, anecdote here. I bought these guys ye- years ago at 40 bucks, sold at 60, thinking I was the best, you know, thing since Warren <laughs> Buffett. And, and... Look how smart I am. And so, you know, a really another strong reminder here that when you're on a good thing, you, you really do stick to it. So, I mean, that, that's, that was then, this is now. And as, as always, the question for investors is, well, what do I do now? If I'm a holder, do I, do I keep yep. with it? If I'm not, is this a good time yep. to buy in? Um, one, of the, one of the tricky things about super high quality companies like this is that they always seem expensive. So that tenfold increase we've seen in the share price over the last 10 years, a about half of that is actually explained by a PE expansion. So the earnings have grown by about four or five fold. Um, so the difference is made up from the market saying, listen, 10 years ago, we were happy to pay about uh, 18, a PE of about 18 for every dollar of earnings. Now it's about 44. Now that's, that's a trick that you can't pull off again and again and again. Um, so, so that's that's something to be mindful of. Of course, the the big thematic at play behind that is this this ongoing fall in interest rates, which just makes equities relatively more expensive. Helps you justify these kinds of things. But I, I would I would say this this is this is not a cheap stock. It probably never will be an especially cheap stock. But um, some of those phenomenal gains over the last ten years are going to be harder to to replicate going forward, just because of a, a factor of scale. And a yeah. factor of how far that PE yeah. can, that, that PE can expand, but but great company, one great one for the bottom draw. I only wish I'd uh, hung on to it for longer. <laughs> so, have you missed the boat if you're looking at it now, or is it one of those stocks that you just have to have as a core foundation of your portfolio? Yeah, Even look, I, I don't price. think you're ever going to have. Yeah, I, look, I think if you are a legitimate long-term holder and your investment time frame is five, ten years, you're never going to look back with any great regret. You know, maybe the worst-case scenario here is, you know, geez, with dividends, I made six or seven percent per year over that period, which, which in the current environment ain't ain't terrible. Um, so, so it's it's a very, very low-risk, good risk-reward proposition. Get off the fence. Would you be buying? Okay, okay. Price I'll say. I think, yeah, I think you could do far worse. I would. Okay. All right. Michael, I think I got a tick yeah. out of him then. But. CSL um, for us is our biggest position in the, the model portfolio that we run. The hardest mm. thing that we've had for clients is getting new clients in because the price obviously keeps moving higher. Right. And ostensibly it doesn't look cheap, but it's a great business across all different calculations. Mm. Um, basically, 85% of its revenue comes from its blood plasma business, um, 15%, around 15% is more from sort of flu vaccines, haemophilia vaccines, etc. But its size, its scale, its history in the blood plasma space gives it a competitive advantage over yeah. all its competitors. It's, a it's, the lowest, business, it's distribution platforms across the world. They're the lowest yeah. cost producer globally of blood plasma. Um, they're the only one that has blood plasma products across the five different blood protein types. Um, they're able to collect the blood and extract more plasma per litre than any of their competitors. This current environment could actually end up being quite good for them because I know it's not a nice thing to say, but more people are unemployed. They'll be keen to raise an extra dollar here or there, so they'll go and donate blood right. more often, which will put down pressure on collection costs, for instance. 
Um, so CSL does look expensive on sort of 45, 50 times earnings, but you have to understand this is a company that piles so much into research and development and the way that they recognise that R&D on the balance sheet, they, they realise it initially, so in that initial year yeah. that they spend on research and development, where a lot of companies across numerous industries yeah. will spread that out over a decade, that R&D expense. So if you actually... So they're very conservative. So, so they're very conservative, and the research and development way that that's accounted for puts a lot of downward pressure on earnings, which inflates the PE ratio, which makes uh -huh. it look a lot worse than it is. Uh -huh. It's still expensive if you strip that out, but not near as expensive okay. as it looks. So for us, um, any pullback sort of below, you know, 290, 280, we'd be looking to jump in. All right, so tick for CSL. Um, our, uh, we've got a really great collection of stocks uh, today to look at. A bit of a bent towards uh, towards health and, and health tech, and then some interesting ones uh, towards the end, some smaller ones. So a great mixture today. Thank you for sending them in. Um, our second stock, and we'll uh, kick off with you, uh, Michael, on this one, Fisher & Paykel, the, I should have said it with a New Zealand accent, I suppose, <laughs> Uh, the Kiwi white goods manufacturer? Yeah, but I think this is Fisher and Paykel Healthcare, Healthcare, the one yeah. that's listed in Australia. Oh, that's right. Healthcare, it is. So it's yeah. very different to what people normally assume from the Fisher and Paykel brand yeah. name. This is actually one that we've had in the, the model portfolio since inception as well um, in the healthcare space. People often get it confused with ResMed yeah. um, in saying that it's exposed to the sleep apnea space um, and market, but that's only a portion of their business. Um, about 70% of their business comes from the respiratory and acute care market. So if you think about hospitals, all the plastic tubing, res um, respiratory, um, defibrillators, oh, masks, masks, and all that like sort that. of consumable products, once right. it's used on one individual, it can't be used again. So right. they've got a, they get nice recurring revenue out of that business. And they've got about a 70% market share in that space globally. So every time you go into the hospital, you get a, an oxygen mask, something like that. More often than not, it's actually Fisher and Paykel Healthcare. I didn't realise it was so big on it's, the international scale. It is. It's a, a brilliant business. Their balance sheet looks very good across all the key metrics, revenue growth, earnings growth, margins expanding. Um, they recently moved a lot of their manufacturing operations to Mexico, away mm. from New Zealand and places like that. And that actually helped boost their margins quite oh, significantly. Yeah. And they managed to pull that off. So often companies will look to cut costs and build factories elsewhere around the world, but they might have a few issues in pulling it off. But Fisher and Paykel managed to do that quite well. Um, in this environment, they've had a, the added boost because everyone's looking for um, respiratory, what do they yep. call it, the defibrillators, et cetera. Not defibrillators, what has everyone been going yeah, to ventilators. The ventilators, yep. sorry, had a mental blank. And everyone's yep. been looking for that um, ventilators in this environment because of the coronavirus. So they've had that added boost. But even before the coronavirus, this was a business on a great trajectory. Um, earnings upgrades, the reporting cycle was very good for them. So we continue to like this business going forward as well. Right. However, we are cautious that because it's done so well throughout this negative period, yeah. when the markets actually do start to recover, it might get left behind right. by the catch up in some other names. So for us, Fisher & Pike is probably a hold at the moment, but in terms right. of the quality of the business, um, right. it's up there, maybe not as high as CSL, but its balance sheet's very, very wow, good. that's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Andrew? Yep, I'm going to agree with, with pretty much all of that. Fantastic company. I mean, even before COVID-19 and the big boost that they got um, to sales there, we've seen a really long and consistent record of sales growth, earnings per share growth. Again, shareholders about 10x their wealth over the past decade. So, you know, 73% up alone in the last year. So 
Um, a really, really attractive company. The other thing that they've benefited from recently too is a fall in the in the Kiwi dollar. So when they repatriate those funds, so much of them are earned overseas, that's another nice little boost as well. So um, again, you've got this conundrum with the, the really attractive, high quality stocks. You you have to pay up for that. So I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna go with Michael here and say a hold, but but definitely one to keep on the watch list. Okay, so if it pulled back to uh, what level, Andrew, would you look at buying? Again, another one to put in the book on your list to say, oh, these are one of these blue chips that if you get a bit of a pullback, I'll, I'll get in. You know, the, the approach I tend to take, Koshi, is, is that, you know, it's, we anchor so much on past prices. So things look cheap if they've fallen 10 or 20% relative to that high watermark. But yeah. that's only cheap if that high watermark was a fair value, you know, and now, now you're getting a discount. So what you see all the time on markets is that prices just get silly in some instances. And so a stock can fall 30, 40% and still be expensive. So I think, I think the really smart, and I just, I just haven't done the work. So, so I'm, I'm kind of giving you a, a bit of a, a fluffy answer here, but I think the real, the real smart thing to do for investors is to try and independently come up with the valuation. I mean, if you had billions and billions of dollars and you were looking to buy this thing outright, what is a fair price to pay relative to your expectation of, of, of earnings in the, in the coming years? And, and I think that gives you a far more favorable anchor point. And so I think having going through a process, okay. you don't have to make it as complicated as, a, you know, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a 10 gigabyte sort of spreadsheet with a thousand rows and columns, but even just like some kind of thumb suck on an average rate of earnings growth and, and, and applying a multiple around that. I think gives you a really solid rock to grasp onto when you when you're facing the volatility of the markets. It's going to help you have that conviction to buy when prices fall. We all say we're going to buy when there's a pullback, but when prices start falling, everyone thinks, "Well, hang on, maybe it'll get lower, or, or yeah. maybe there's something I don't know." Yeah. So, so I think when you have that anchor point of a of a, of a rigorous objective valuation, and that's that's what we ask our members to do on Strawman. What do you think it's worth? Pop it in there. And that's that's going to be a far more sensible way to go about it. But look, on on, on the high level, look at I had it at this morning. I think things will start to get attractive, about fifteen percent below current levels. Right. Okay. Well, it's the third stop. We're really pulling out the big guns here in terms of um, the health sector. Uh, Cochlear, uh, Michael, again, another yep. great Australian business, great technology. Yep. It's not one that we own. It's one that we have in the years gone by, but haven't for some time because it is quite expensive. Um, it's, look, I was asked on the sh this show actually a few weeks ago about it and it was sort of a hold leading towards a buy given the pullback that we've had. Yeah. We've had a chance to go away and look into the business in a bit more detail just to see what we're feeling given the pullback that it's had. Um, basically what concerns us is that the developed markets um, children's aspect of the business historically has been the most profitable. But that part of the business now is quite mature. Developed markets mm. have the cash, children who require the implant have received it, um, which leaves the growth areas adults getting the implants, but also developing markets. But the problem with developing markets is it's a lot more sensitive to price and cochlear has to compete on price, which means that it's a lower margin right. part of their business going forward. So although the volumes might be there going forward, the margins on these new markets probably won't be as attractive. So the product mix for us isn't as appealing as it once was. Don't get me wrong, it's an unbelievable business. Yeah. You tend to get a patient for life once they've had the implant. They tend to get upgrades every five, ten years or so. They purchase accessories. 
Um, historically, any competition, serious competition that, that's emerged has fallen by the wayside once people realise the quality difference between Cochlear and whoever they're competing with. So there's a lot of good attributes about this business, but we're just a little bit concerned that going forward, their most yeah. profitable part of the business um, will struggle and some of the more profitable parts of the business will grow, but they're not as yeah, attractive. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. They we, the same we would have a hold. History suggests that big pullbacks on Cochlear tend to be good buying opportunities. Right. Going back sort of almost probably seven, eight years ago, they had a big product recall. The share price had a huge drop at that point. Yeah. Then it found the base and recovered quite nicely. They recently raised some capital at a fairly attractive price and saw a big bounce off that. So their balance sheet's in good order. At the moment, they're not doing many um, day surgeries or people aren't obviously doing elective surgeries across the globe at the moment. So that's gonna hurt their business in the short term, but their balance sheet is in a position to withstand that and get okay. them through this period. All right, Andrew, Cochlear. Yeah, yeah, there's not gonna be much controversy it seems um, uh, today. Um, I, I'm gonna agree with all of that. It's, it's a fantastic company. Um, you, you know, Michael's 100% right. You have a customer for life here. Um, and, and you also have, I would say, particularly in developed markets, one that isn't too price sensitive. When you're putting something in your head, you know, you really want the best of the best. And and you talk about like maybe a trapdoor mode, you know, the stickiness of a customer. You know, if something slightly better comes along, you're not going to rip that thing out of your head and, and put another one in. So you do get the replacement cycles with the stuff, with the, the kit that hangs on the side of your belt. And that's a that's a very um, a good regular source of uh, revenue for these guys. Um, the the technology, the R and D, the focus there they are they are miles ahead of anyone else. Um, so I think it's it's attractive. They haven't had the same kind of growth um, historically as, as CSL and, and Fisher and Pike or healthcare there. So you're looking at more sort of the upper single digit kind of rate. And as Michael said, there's probably some potential for that to you know it, it's unlikely to sort of really surge ahead. Um, in the coming years. So, look, um, a couple of things to, to, to be um, mindful of here. They had a very big lawsuit that they had to pay out recently. So a big chunk of that, that raise that they did recently is going to go uh, towards that. Um, but but the, the COVID-19 aspect and the legal case aspect, these are what you would call sort of um, hopefully one-off kind of issues. They're not structural issues. So it, it always is bad news when you see earnings fall and they're going to have a, they're going to have a tough year. But the, the key thing for investors to always ask in these situations, is this structural? Is this pointing to something that's fundamentally changed um, with the business? And I don't think it is. Um, Michael mentioned the product recall before. Another classic case in point, undoubtedly bad news, but was never going to affect them longer term. It turned out to be a great opportunity. So okay. look, again, one a great one for, for the bottom drawer, I think. Okay. All right. So bottom drawer, bit of a hold at this price, though, from, uh, from both Andrew and and Michael, um, why not? Let's continue the uh, the health sector uh, spree with our, our fourth uh, health stock, Sonic Healthcare. Um, Andrew, what do you think of that? Dave, they're the big pathology laboratory group, uh, global again, another great global Australian healthcare business. Yeah, and, and one that's had a, a pretty good uh, history as well. Again, shareholders have done pretty well, 10% per annum, uh, sort of low double digits kind of returns for shareholders over the last decade. So notwithstanding that 30% top to bottom fall we saw at the start of the year, I mean, shareholders would have to, have to be pretty happy uh, with that result. Um, it's sitting on about a PE of 20 on a trailing basis. And uh, based on the guidance that I've seen, it looks as though uh, the analysts are sort of calling for mid-single digit uh, earnings per share growth. 
over the coming years. So that's that's a pretty reasonable price. They've got a strong cash and and uh, credit position as well, close to a billion dollars there. So they're gonna they're gonna ride through this. They have warned that they're going to see a lot of diagnostic test volumes being uh, impacted um, due to the due to the current restrictions. But I think overall, we've got a very good tailwind here. There are definite scale advantages in this kind of business. So yeah, I, I think it looks pretty good. Michael? Uh, look, it's, it's not a bad business by any means, but we've just touched on probably you know, three of the best quality healthcare companies, and this is probably a you know, distant fourth or further down right. the line. So, so a, a second tier. That's right. Like. So when right. you're looking at investing in the healthcare, there are just so many good quality names that often Sonic gets overlooked. Yeah. Um, I think it's maybe the third largest um, operator in the world when it comes to laboratory testing. Um, at the moment, that's obviously got its perks with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's testing more in Australia or Germany than Sonic, and they've also got um, presence in other countries as well. So that should help support or offset some of the lost business that they might get from um, other pathology tests that they have now had to with- with go, um, go without. Sorry. Um, the problem for Sonic is, or they've done a very good job in diversifying overseas. Historically, they were more of an Australia-focused and centric yeah. business. And going back about three, four years ago, there was a land grab of sorts. There was deregulation of the pathology industry, which allowed these centres to be moved in suburbia away from central hubs. But what that ended up doing was putting up pressure on rents in these key locations. Mm-hmm. So it actually eroded their margins a little bit that way. I think the reason it trades on lower multiples as well to some of the other healthcare names is there's an element of political risk as well because it is such a key industry pathology testing. That I think there's the perception that costs have to be regulated somewhat or, or the pricing. Oh. So in one way, they've got capped revenue growth by the government and then they've got all these other cost pressures coming from rents, um, expansion overseas, other competitors in the space yep. as well. So it probably isn't as good of a, a business fundamentally than some of these other names. And for that reason, it's an avoid or just, it's right. not, not, not an, I'm not going to go short sell it or anything today, but <laughs> I just saying, would not, prefer not other ones in the not space, a not a buy, yep. um, and probably not even a hold either because I'll be preferring to look elsewhere. Okay. All right. Um, our fit stock today is uh, we're going to go from health sector to financial and uh, QBE insurance. Um, what do you reckon, uh, Michael? QBE insurance mm-hmm. has sort of been a bit of a roller coaster over the yeah. years, hasn't it? <laughs> well, it's been one of like the, the stockbroker's favourites. You always get these big price targets, the turnarounds yeah. coming, a new CEO, a new board, and it starts to build expectations and then it's tanks. Uh, something comes out of left field. Yeah. And I think that's just what you get um, in the insurance industry. And for that reason, it's up there with the material space and the energy space in sectors that we avoid. Right. Um, the environment, basically the business model for insurance companies is somewhat simple in that they take people's premiums, they pull together all those premiums and then they invest those premiums and try and earn an investment return on those premiums, meeting their obligations along the way. We're in, a, in a, an environment globally at the moment with financial markets where it's very difficult to eke out decent returns with low risk assets. Obviously, bond yields are very low, negative in some parts of the world. Yeah. Corporate debt, is come, the, the, the margins have come down, or the spreads have come down there. Obviously, equity markets have been turbulent. So it's becoming increasingly more difficult for these insurance companies to meet their obligations as easily as they could in the past. Um, then obviously, you've got the unknown events yeah. such when as natural weather and disasters, and, etc. Yeah. So for us, there's just too many variables. It's a challenging environment for them investment-wise. 
One thing that was going in their favour was that insurance premiums globally were moving higher before the crisis. How the crisis impacts insurance premiums going forward probably is anyone's guess at the moment. So although insurance is considered to be quite conservative and that the industry will always be there, there's a big requirement for insurance, it's just hard for these companies to be profitable consistently just because of all the different variables that are at play there and and all the unknown factors as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good marketing, though, um, Andrew, being major sponsor of the, the Sydney Swans for a long time. So if you like your footy, you might like the insurance company. But what do you reckon as an investment? Well, I, I just look, insurance is, is a fascinating sector. It's got some wonderful characteristics, but it, it is one that punishes very poor operators. So there's a reason that, that Buffett always goes on about uh, insurance. This, this huge float that Michael referred to that you can invest and get a good return on uh, is a wonderful thing. But, geez, you know, these guys, I think this, this turnaround has been going for seven or so years now, you know. Um, even even uh, ignoring the recent sell-off, I mean, shares are below where they were a decade ago. Um, so it, it's really, really uh, uh, tough. These guys haven't haven't done anything to imbue a great deal of confidence here. They look cheap. PE is only 12 or so. But then again, for, for a company whose earnings have been heading south and facing some pretty big uncertainties, maybe, maybe that, that could actually be argued to be a bit expensive. I know there was some talk in the US that some um, state governments there were actually going to make them pay out some of these business interruption policies, even though they've got exclusions written in there for things like pandemics and viruses and and these kinds of stuff. So we don't know what's going to happen there, but it's an uncertainty. Um, They made a big deal recently how they've de-risked their investment portfolio and sold out a lot of equities. But then we've seen equity markets sort of continue to rally. So, you know, the the sense of that decision is, is yet to be seen as well. So... Um, look, I, 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 for me, they just haven't, they haven't earned, their performance hasn't given me any great degree of confidence. Okay. And maybe one day when the turnaround actually happens and, uh, you know, there's, there's reason for optimism, it'll be a different story. But until then, it's an avoid for me. Okay. All right. So no for QBE from both of the guys. So just to recap, um, uh, Michael and um, uh, Andrew's views on oil search, both a no on that. Uh, CSL, greatest Australian company if you can get under 300 bucks for it. Um, attractive, hold on Fisher and Paykel, hold on Cochlear. No uh, from uh, Michael on Sonic uh, Healthcare. Um, bit of a yes, I think, from, from Andrew on Sonic, the pathology group, and a no for QBE. So let's get into the second half of the call and kick it off in the, um, the building, construction, development business. Um, and Andrew Lindley's another great Australian sort of top 200 company. Yeah, huge company, been around for a while, will be around for, for a long time to come. Um, but again, we, we, this one came up a few weeks ago on the show and the comments I made there are still unchanged, really. This is, this is a business that um, can be very, very cyclical. I mean, over the last five years, again, shares have essentially tracked um, uh, sideways and that's, that's pre-COVID-19. Um, with some big ups and downs in, in between. So very, very, very cyclical. Um, yes, you know, you can always, and in every presentation deck you look at, they, they make a big deal about this strong development pipeline and all this work that's coming up and, you know, how they're so well-placed to do that. But, you know, construction projects are notoriously difficult to sort of deliver mm. on time and on budget. We've seen that again and again and again. And I'm not having a go at these guys. I think they do a pretty good job, all things considered. But... I just come back to this. I mean, 
Michael touched on it before. You know, you, you've got you've got this luxury of choice out there. Is this is this what I would consider one of the top twenty businesses in Australia relative to its future earnings potential and relative to where the share price sits today? Not necessarily for me. Again, if you can time these big um, uh, sort of development cycles, you'll probably do really well on it. Um, but it one it is one you have to keep a close eye on. And I, mm. I prefer the I far prefer the ones that are just set and forget, where timing doesn't have to be such a crucial element to it. So for me, it's a pass. Yeah. And Michael, it is one of those stocks that when they go into a, a big project and get it wrong, that's it right. goes really wrong, doesn't it? As, well, that, that's as the we've concern. seen in the UK for them. And... That's right. And even they had a division, which they've still got on their books that they're trying to sell, which is involved in engineering and services division. Yeah. Um, that was the big fall that you saw at the back end of 2018, where they were having sort of huge write downs on some of those projects. They vowed to sell that business, but they haven't found a buyer yet. And that keeps getting pushed out. So ultimately, right. that will be, I think, net positive once that part of the business um, has been rid of. Um, but ultimately, look, it's a lumpy style of business because, like you say, they get one project, they deliver it on time and on budget, they get a nice boost. Yeah. Um, then they've got to keep going to the, the well, if you like, and replenishing themselves. So for us, it makes it difficult to value. Uh, you would think as well that if there was a big hit to the commercial real estate market, residential real estate market, Lend-Lease wouldn't be in the best position in that sort of environment. Um, they do have a fair bit of cash on their balance sheet and they've got the Tower One in Varangaroo just down the road from where we are at the moment. There's been talk of maybe a partial sell down of that to free up some cash at this part of the cycle so that they can then look at picking off some projects in the next you know, 12, 18 months or so once things settle. Um, but from our point of view, it's a too cyclical business to get invested in. Um, it's very yeah. difficult to predict. They raised a few eyebrows with their capital raising recently. It was at a huge discount. I mean, the shares were only $18 not that long ago. They ended up raising money below $10. Um, that ended up being a sort of 15% dilutive to earnings per share. It did reduce their leverage somewhat, which isn't the worst thing in this environment. But yeah, look, from our perspective, you could do worse than Lend-Lease if you wanted to be in that construction space. But we just, again, find it quite challenging. And often when you least expect it, something comes out of left field, right. uh, which is not ideal. Okay. All right. So a note for Lend-Lease. <coughs> Mind you, they're, they're terrific landlords um, here at Tower 3 of Barangaroo, <laughs> uh, where Ausbiz has its studios. Um, but yeah, a note, note for both of them. Um, our seventh stock out of the 10 that you suggested we look at today, Andrew, is, is Bluescope. Bluescope Steel. Yeah, look, similar characteristics to, to um, some of these other stocks in the sense that they, they can be pretty um, a cyclical, a provider of steel products for construction. So a lot of what we said with Lendley yeah. sort of flows through onto that. Should be said, they've had a great five-year period. Earnings per share have been rising really consistently um, over that period, uh, which is really attractive. Um, you know, they, they seem to have a pretty solid balance sheet. So again, as Michael said, that's, that's exactly the kind of thing you want in this kind of environment. They seem to have deferred some some serious capex to sort of preserve cash and maintain some strength there in the balance sheet. Steelmaking has been classified an essential service. Uh, operations more or less seem as though they will they will continue uh, in the current environment. Um, it isn't one that I've closely researched before though. But when I when I pulled up the consensus uh, forecast for it though, I, one thing that really stuck out is that. Um, dividends are flat over the next three years, and we're actually seeing per share earnings drop rather significantly. About a dollar eighty last year in 2019, um, expected to be about seventy cents in the full year, and, and only recovering to about a dollar in 2022. So, 
you know, you, you can still do well if if if, op, if market sentiment turns um, turns their way. But in terms of that 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 driver of earnings growth, it doesn't look as though it's going to be there. So this is going to be an avoid for me as well. Okay, Michael. Um, Blue Scope management need to be commended really on turning that business around. If you take that five-year chart and take it back 10 yeah. years, you'll see that this was a business that was very much on its knees. In um, a tough sector, isn't it? Tough... With global competitors. That's right. So the heavyweights, China and the yeah. US in steel. So Blue Scope really lacks any competitive advantage. Um, they really lack any control over their pricing either. And for that reason, we wouldn't ever buy it. But they've definitely done a good job in a tough situation. Yep. Uh, they capitalised on the housing boom that occurred in Australia going back a couple of years ago. But that positive will now probably turn to a bit of a negative for some period of time. They did manage to diversify their business model away from just pure raw steel to things like Colourbond, which mm. is used in a lot of building projects and houses, etc. So, look, they've done a lot right, but... It's just a business that operates in a little old Australia competing against many of the global heavyweights. And for that reason, it's always going to find itself or at times find itself being yeah. squeezed from different angles. Because you don't have the scale. That's or right. The scale. You're the global markets. That's right. They, have done, they did end up setting up a plant in the US, um, again, which made them more competitive and they made them able to produce steel at more competitive prices. But... That's only one small part of a bigger business. Right, okay. All right, so I know for Blue Scope. Um, now as we go back towards the, the back half of the call for today, some really interesting stocks here. Our eighth stock, Andrew's Can, as in cannabis, uh, and it's a, a listed medicinal cannabis business. Yeah, listed back in, in 2017, huge amount of hype in this sector yep. there for a while. I mean, there, there is great potential here in, on, the, on the medical front. Um, and, 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 and people see this sort of as an emergence of a, of a new industry. You see all these presentation decks which talk about the global market opportunity. It's obviously massive even in the billions of dollars. Um, but, but this is a story stock. I mean, they've never made a buck. Um, in fact, their losses look as though they're, they're widening. I don't think, I think they've barely made any sales as well. So this is a gonna company, you know, this is a gonna be good in the future and, and, and maybe they will. So I don't, I don't know them well enough to sort of say definitively don't, but I think what you have to do is, is even if you think that this as a sector is going to be much bigger, um, uh, and much more profitable in the, in the years ahead, you know, what, what is going to enable these guys to stand out? We talk about sort of hard to sort of be a, a price maker on a commodity type product. Well, this, this is a weed you know, in name. Um, and and you've got to wonder what the only, I guess there's maybe some scale advantages if you've got a big enough uh, production sort of facility. There's probably some advantages if you've got the proper uh, licensing that's going to help keep competitors at bay. But, but I think any... You see this a lot, really, where even when there's certain industries where the demand grows very substantially, that supply side response can react very, very, very fast. So, so I, I just think it's 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 super tough. It's still really too early to tell. I had a quick squeeze at their latest quarterly report. They've got six million in the bank, and they're burning through three million a quarter. And it looks Whoa. as though profitability still some ways way. So, you know. Um, don't focus on the story here. Um, focus on the actual specifics of the business and, and be realistic on when cash is going to come through, if and when, and, and to what quantum. And I think when you look at it from that angle, it's, it's at best highly speculative. So yeah, it's, it's not yeah. one for me. 
and it looks as though it's going to have to raise. Well, <laughs> a lot of these, yeah. yeah, a lot of these medical marijuana companies raise quite often. Um, yeah. It's not a space that we're that familiar with, but obviously there's been a lot of hype, so we get clients yeah. asking questions, and you do form a bit of a view over time. Like any sort of emerging infant industry, to pick the winners today is very difficult. It's like trying to pick the Amazons and the Googles when the dot-com boom was around. There's all these companies out there, but to say this one's going to be the winner or that one's going to be a loser is very difficult. And you can say the same thing going back to automobiles um, or going back to the railways. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's very early days. There probably is some merit to, to some of this, and eventually it will be a, a quite a, a big industry. But it's important to split it into two spaces. There's the recreational cannabis market, and then there's the medicinal cannabis market. Recreational can obviously get to market a lot quicker than the medicinal side of things. And from what I can understand, CAN is more aligned to the recreational right. aspect of things. So they are one of their biggest shareholders is actually a Canadian-listed medicinal marijuana company, which is, I think, one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest. So they do have a fairly large shareholder, which can provide them capital if required down the track. And there's also the prospects that they might lob a takeover bid at one stage or another for an Australian business if that if it comes to it so that's something to keep an eye on but for us it's an avoid it's too early days right. um, and often these hyped up sectors whether it's the uranium boom from you know a decade ago or the the Chinese consumer boom with the likes of Bellamy's and Blackmore's the market tends to have these big booms yep. the cryptocurrency boom that sort of thing um, but often things settle down significantly before the winners yep. start to emerge and I suppose the uh, the quality management and executives start to rise right. and the, the poor ones. That's poor right. Ones. And then they some start to merge with each other, create yep. scale and size. And I don't think that's even close to happened yet in Australia. So okay. there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge in this space. Okay. So I know if I can. Uh, our ninth stock is a water treatment company, wastewater treatment company, I think, called Fluence. Andrew, I don't know much about Fluence. Is it, is it sort of like what Foslock does with sort of water treatment or uh, contamination, or is it sort of a bit simpler than that? Um, it, it's a bit different. So um, they, they really focus on these modular water treatment um, facilities. So this is something that will fit inside a shipping container. Ah. Um, and they're really cheap. They're quick to install. They've got a, they've got a good efficacy, like a good, good throughput. Um, it has this patented membrane technology, um, it's really interesting science. So this company was formed out of a merger but sort of, sort of between a big engineering company and a small Australian company that sort of had the tech here. And so, again, when you look at this company and, and you look at what their vision is, this is a huge marker. I mean, water quality is a massive problem, mm. and particularly in places like China and the developed world. And, you know, some of these, these old-style sort of large treatment plants, you know, billions of dollars, very expensive, take years to build. Well, these guys can come in, they can set up, super quick so if you've got a resort on some remote island or you name it a lot of little use cases like that you know, a village somewhere in africa it's, yeah. it's 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 a very very exciting kind of space so um and it has been it has been something i have held in the past um i no longer do um it's it's a it's a business that's that i think has very exciting potential but it's just taking a long time for that vision to be realized um, it has made some encouraging moves recently. The EBITDA positive in the first quarter. They expect to be cash flow positive uh, in the second quarter. And then sustained profitability in FY20 um, and, and beyond, um, uh, which, which is encouraging. 
Um, but there's there's a lot of moving parts to this business as well. They're still doing a lot of this old school work. The financials I find um, to be to be rather complicated. So now that they've come back a little bit, I think they're around 30 cents or so per share. I think it is a bit more of an interesting proposition. So I wouldn't be adverse to it. I know it. I know it's been pretty popular on on Strawman uh, in the past. Um, I would put it to more towards that speculative end. So if you were mm. going to take it, I, I would make sure it was a smaller part of that. And just to make sure that they actually, you want to see this continued traction on this front, um, uh, but definitely got potential. Okay, as a speculative buy. Uh, I must admit this isn't one yeah. I'd come across before, so yeah. I think whatever Andrew says carries more weight than whatever I've got to say. But it did seem like an, an interesting proposition, but the balance sheet from what I could tell was very much an emerging um, right. business of speculative in nature. It's you know, free cash flow negative, but I think it's more an awareness situation for this business. They've got to drive awareness. They've got to get the sales team out there um, because from what I could tell, the product that they've got makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the biggest cost, I think, with these water treatment facilities is, is electricity and energy uh, and the eff efficacy of this product relative to some of the incumbent products out there was quite compelling, but yeah. often it's changing the status quo, which yeah. can be quite difficult. I, lo I love learning about yeah, businesses well, like right. this on the market, is it? And, and you go to yourself, wow, this is a, this is almost like an environmental business, yeah. environmental slash, slash ethical business that is doing That's good right. in the world. And look, let's face it, most of the businesses that are listed on the ASX have to have a good story. Otherwise, yeah. they would never raise the money in the first place. But at, at so some point... So they've got to get their story better. No, reckon, no, I think their story makes sense. But I think at some point, you've got, to create, you've got to turn that story into an actual business that's making money or a chance at making yeah. money at some stage in the near future. And for them, I think they are moving in the right direction. I did see they signed a decent contract in, uh, with a company in China, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and those are small steps on the way to becoming okay. a profitable enterprise. All right, again, a bit health related as well. Seems to be a bit of a theme in the call today. Uh, well, Clunavel is how you pronounce it, I think. Yeah, Michael. I think you're um, right there. Skin disorder treatment, isn't That's it? That's right. Um, so look, it's not one, again, that we're too familiar with, but we are aware of the business. It is one of the most shorted stocks on the ASX. Oh. Um, but it's one of these healthcare companies which is looking to make the transition from you know, a speculative healthcare research type company to one that's got a product or a procedure that they're able to commercialise. Right. Sell and get revenue. Sell and get revenue. Right. So they've done a good job in that they've gone through the testing um, and they have a product which works, uh, scientifically works. They've also got the required approvals in Europe and the US to then go and sell and market those products. The big Part of this, though, with all these healthcare companies is the marketing aspect, getting in front of different um, doctors, um, clinicians, yeah. hospitals, and then talking to them about the benefits of using the new procedure over the old procedure. And doctors, by nature, tend to be quite conservative, and it can be at times quite a difficult task, despite the fact that all the research and development has been put in place and been proven to work. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of a company called Certex, which was in a similar space going back a number of years, um, who were looking to make the same transition from a research and development company into an actual um, business that had a product out there. And eventually what happened to Certex after a very volatile ride, they ended up getting acquired by a larger scale healthcare company, which has the resources to continually market and push the product. Because right. believe it or not, healthcare is as much about sales as anything else, and particularly in the, the US. So 
For us, um, it's not one that we would buy. It's not one that we would hold just because we don't really know enough about it. And it yeah. is quite speculative at the moment still. It's still looking to sort of push and make that transition into a, a profitable business consistently. But there is a lot to like about it, I suppose. The only thing, again, that I saw is that it is quite a small addressable market. Um, the, the particular condition that requires this treatment isn't that common across the world, um, which does to potentially limit some of that upside, if, right. even if they were to become the first line therapy okay. there. Andrew? Yeah, yeah. So exactly, very, very speculative. I mean, th these guys, as far as I can tell, have made that tip into profitability. They've had a good couple of years, um, earnings up about thirty-seven percent last year, off an incredibly small base, mind you. Um, and and Michael's right, a very niche product. The good thing about having an extremely niche uh, product in in a in a in a relatively small market is none of the big drug companies tend to go for it. So you've got, you tend to have that uh, to yourself, and. And look, this is this is what um, people love this kind of space because when it does go right, there are great returns. So shares here are up tenfold in the last five years as they went from this, you know, company that had potential to one that actually started delivering on that potential. And and you you see the benefits of that when it happens. The thing, of course, to remember here is that these are the exception to the rule in this space. It's not because this is you know full of dodgy operators. It's just you know medical research and frontline biopharmaceuticals is super, super hard. You know, it, it is rocket science almost, you know, so um, you have to bear that in mind. They are also a one product company at this stage. Um, uh, uh, they've ramped up their expenses quite a bit as they're sort of trying to go ahead and market this now and also develop more products that they can sort of diversify their earnings mix with a little bit. Um, Jens, thank you for that. Uh, Sort of very quickly running out of time, just a quick recap on the last five. No for Lendlease, no for Blue Scope, no for Can. Fluence, speculative buy from uh, from Andrew because he knows the business um, and has done some work into it. Uh, no for Clunavel. Uh, Andrew Page from strawman.com. Really appreciate your time. Go and visit strawman.com and see what Andrew and the Investment Club do there. You'll be fascinated and also Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, good to see you. No, thanks for having me, and I'll see you soon. Uh, that's it for the call for today. Really appreciate your time. Don't forget, if you do want to send in any suggestions for the call in days to come, you can email uh, thecall at ausbiz.com.au or through Twitter at ausbiz.tv. Great. 